Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had thus far here this morning, and may it continue as we have opportunity uh, to dig into God's Word here today. And I want to invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word. You can turn with me to John chapter 19. Uh, We have paused a little bit from our study in the Gospel of John to take some time and really focus on beholding Jesus. And beholding Jesus in such a way that we are focusing in on the cross leading up to, of course, the celebration of Easter Sunday, but we want to take a broad look at the whole picture and all of what we have to see and know concerning Jesus in those final moments. And as we do so, as we come into the Gospel of John, it's very helpful to think of where we've been thus far and even talking about last week and talking about the crucifixion of Christ and how clearly we can see Him for who He is. And how we can see all of the, in all the details how the Father's will is unfolding. And it's as though as we step into this moment in John chapter 19 and we start to focus on the cross, it's as though, the, as, as you could think about it, almost like a movie where it's panning ever closer to the cross. And as we get close, we start to realize there are people standing around that are not just the soldiers. We start to realize that we can hear Him. He has things to say to us even from His own cross. And that we know that when time is short, we hold fast to the words that are spoken all the more. When we know that there's not much time left, that those words that are spoken in those moments linger long. And may they linger long in our hearts here this morning. So grab your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to John chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 25, and we're going to read down through verse 30. And this is what we read. John chapter 19, verse 25 says this, But standing by the cross of Jesus were His mother and His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw His mother and His And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, capture our attention here today. Father, as we have celebrated together with new life in Christ, as we have worshiped together in song, as we have come before you in prayer and lifted our needs and cares and concerns before you, Father, as we come right now, Lord, capture our attention yet again with the wonder of who you are, with the wonder of who Christ is, that we would know and that in knowing we would trust and that in trusting we would live Father, we pray that by Your Spirit at work through Your Word, You would stir our hearts to behold Jesus anew, afresh, or perhaps even today for the first time in faith. Father, we pray and ask, as we know that You are the God who does amazing things, we pray that You would do amazing things in our midst as we fix our eyes on Jesus together. 
Lord, lead us and guide us in this moment. And Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen. So as we read the text here, and really as we just follow along, and as we described it a moment ago, it's as though the, the camera's almost panning a little bit, and you can, so, you can see shifting away from the attention of what the soldiers were doing, all of a sudden we realize standing right by the cross were several people. And there's in fact four that are named here. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now we, we can put together that these are four different people, not only from here, but you can also find that as you read along in the parallel accounts in all of the different gospels. And so there they are standing by the cross, and so they would be close enough to hear Jesus. They'd be close enough to see His wounds. They'd be close enough to hear Him breathing. That the Roman soldiers would allow in circumstances like this for family members and those who were close to even the ones who were on the cross to get that near by standing by the cross of Jesus. One was his mother. And you can imagine Mary there with her just overwhelming heartbreak at the reality of what was taking place. You can imagine in, in these moments her thinking back over the course of all of what has taken place, even in her own life, as she thinks about the angel visiting her and saying, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. You can imagine as her remembering the echo of the words of the angel that said to her, for nothing will be impossible with God. You can imagine her remembering and recalling, treasuring up all those words that she pondered in her heart from the shepherds and just still amazed at what God has done. You can imagine all that time that she spent looking for her little boy when she didn't know where he was, only to find him, and then him looking at her and being like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And you can imagine as she's standing there recalling being present when Jesus gave the first sign of who he was, when Jesus turned the water into wine, and that when Mary looked at the servants, She looks at Jesus and looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. And now here she stands at the foot of his cross, looking at her precious son, the son of the Most High, broken, battered, dying. And in the moment you can feel the weight of just sorrow in her heart. So hard for a mom to turn away at this moment. And here she is to the final moment, here, right with him. And along with her was his mother's sister. And interestingly enough, you start to put together the parallel accounts and the Gospels, and you could go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 56, and you could go to Mark chapter 15, verse 40, and talk about Salome, and then you start to put together that Salome is the mother of the sons of Zebedee, and then you start to realize who this actually is. The sons of Zebedee were who? James and John. And all of a sudden, you start to realize Mary's sister was who? John's mother. Here she is at the foot of the cross, standing there. This same lady who was also the one who tried to uh, get Jesus to say, have my sons have a prominent place in your kingdom. 
And here's her boy, here's her sister, and there's her Savior. And you can feel the sorrow all the more. And then there was Mary, the wife of Clopas. Many believe that this was actually Joseph's sister. She's the mother of James and Joseph. She's mentioned in Matthew 27 and Mark 15 also. And then as well, there was Mary Magdalene. We're familiar with her even from Luke chapter 8, verse 2. We are told that she was healed of seven demons. She had seven demons cast out of her, and she had lived her life from that moment, worshiping Jesus, adoring Him, following Him, even to this very desperate moment. And you can imagine, gathered around here at the foot of this cross, the weight of sorrow. And that maybe we sit here today and we have gathered around the cross here again today. And you find in your own heart the weight of sorrow. And it's like we're standing by. And when you're standing by, you're ready to listen Are there any words of hope? Are there any words of care? Could anyone speak life into this situation here? Is there anyone who cares about the depths of what is going on? Yes, he does. Because as the text continues, we're told in verse 26, it says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. What's amazing here is we behold Jesus speaking words of unchanging compassion. We see that Jesus is not distracted by the reality of what's going on. Even as he endures the cross, the physical turmoil, the emotional turmoil, the spiritual turmoil, he still sees the people. He still sees their hurt. He sees his mother. He sees the disciple whom he loved, whom we know is the Apostle John, who was among the inner circle. And that even here, before we even get to what he has to say, this should remind us, this should stir us hope that even in in his most afflicted state, Jesus saw their needs and he cared. We know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he can care in this moment about what's going on in their lives, how sure should we be that he cares for us? What depths of compassion he has. And as he looks at his mother and the tears are streaming down her face, he speaks to her with this term of respect. He, woman, behold your son. And he's not saying behold your son in terms of look at me. He's talking about the apostle John. Because being the eldest son, Jesus had the care to care for his mother. It's clear here from the text, even just the implications in the text, that Joseph would have already passed away. And so Jesus bears the responsibility of the ongoing care for his mother as even before his brothers had come to faith in Christ. And he's passing the mantle, passing the care of his beloved mother on to his beloved apostle. Look at the compassion of Christ here. Because of all the moments... When you would think he would think of himself, and we would, we, would, we would give him a pass if he did think of himself here. Even still, he didn't. Because when we get hurt and we focus on ourselves, 
We justify just about everything. You walk through the house and you stub your toe, and then you're like, oh, get out of my way, right? I don't want to talk to you. Just back up. Go over there, right? Just get out of my face for a second. And then you come back, you know, an hour later, be like, I'm really sorry, but I had stubbed my toe, so it makes everything okay. Even in the height of affliction here, here's Jesus honoring his mother, displaying the depth of his own righteousness and his unchanging compassion. Behold, Jesus, unchangingly compassionate. Because if he cares so much while he's suffering, does he care less now while he's glorified? If he can display this kind of affection in this moment, does he care less now? Of the people of whom he spoke in Luke chapter 8, verse 21, where he said, Who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven. What a reminder we have here of the compassion of Christ. And as we're beholding Jesus on the cross, we're not looking up there and saying, Oh, what a tragedy. We're looking up there and saying, What a Savior. I want to know more of him. I want to trust him more with my life. He sees your sorrows. He sees your tears. He cares and he provides in ways that we never thought even possible. Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus looks at the apostle John and says, take care of her. Behold your mother. The responsibility is yours. Now notice he did not exalt her. He did not venerate her. But he did most assuredly care for her. Here he is in his compassion. But remember who else was there. John's mother was there. He would have heard, she would have heard Jesus say that to the Apostle John. And you can imagine, perhaps for a moment, little mama jealousy, like your mother. She didn't give birth to you. She didn't nurture you as a child. But here, you have the wonderful responsibility of caring for her. And it's as though right here in this moment you can see how Jesus is providing and how he is love her like you love your own mother. And who better to hold you accountable than this lady right here, your own mother, Mary's sister. Look at how Jesus provides. Look at how he's guiding all these details together. Behold who he is. And how unchangingly compassionate he is even still. It's not, it's not like we're to behold Jesus on the cross here with just the sort of last scraps of the disciples. Jesus is guiding all of these details and continually, even at this moment, and maybe even especially at this moment, revealing the grandeur and the glory of who he actually is. We ought to be absolutely amazed 
Not only that God has demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, but even while he's dying for us on the cross, he's still displaying perfect, righteous compassion. It's amazing. When you know someone cares this much, don't you want to know them? Don't you want to know them more? I want to get to know that guy. And when someone displays this level of care, it makes you want to listen, doesn't it? What a Savior. Behold Jesus. And we're told from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, what's interesting here, if you wanted to just sort of coalesce all of the gospel accounts together, you could. So, and if we take the very specific, specifically from that hour, from that moment, taking Mary and taking her back home, right then, that would explain why when you get into the other gospel accounts, we're actually told that the women were standing far off from the cross. So, at this moment, they would withdraw a little from the cross, John would take Mary back home. The rest of the women were, who, uh, without Mary, would stay near the cross, but they would be a little further away. And so all of a sudden, we're starting to see how all the details of the gospel accounts actually fit right together with perfect precision. And it's amazing to see how this is taking place. And then John would have made it back in time to hear Jesus say his next words. And it's like we're looking at this whole thing with all these perfectly providential details and these words that are so revealing and perfectly timed. Even from the cross, behold our Jesus who is unchangingly compassionate. He knows your needs better than you know them. And he knows that your ultimate need is not merely compassion, but salvation. Which is why that's not the last thing he had to say. Because as we continue to fix our eyes on Jesus and look to him and behold Jesus, we see and we read and we hear his words that declare he has finished his mission. Because in verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. So at this moment here, Jesus has now been on the cross for a few hours. The sky would now be shrouded in darkness. Jesus would have already said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Jesus is enduring the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin. He is propitiating the wrath of God. Here's the Son of God, fully man and fully God, our substitute, who's enduring the weight of all of our rebellion, all the ways in which we say, Lord, I don't need you, I don't want you, I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to rebel, I'm going to trust in myself, I'm not going to trust in you, I'm going to follow my own way, I'm not going to follow you. All the ways in which we have denied Him, not trusted Him, not believed Him, not followed His Word. Here's Jesus enduring the punishment against our sin, the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world, who, so that He might display that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus knowing 
that all was now finished. And the word that's used here for finished is the same word that's used as, that comes out of Jesus' mouth in verse 30, and he uses it again. It's used again in this same context. It's like mission completed. He said to fulfill Scripture. The word that he uses there for fulfill is not the word that's normally used for the word fulfill that's even used in the same chapter in John chapter 19, verse 24. The word that's used here is the same word, finish, to complete. So he's not only looking at a specific Scripture, he's looking at Scripture itself. He knows it's done. It's complete. He has done it. He did what he came for, and he wouldn't stop until the task was finished. We like this kind of commitment, don't we? We like it when people just get in there and say they're going to do it, and they're going to go until the job is done. Jesus did that for us. What a Savior we have. How amazing he is. He knows he's fulfilled it all. The serpent's head is crushed. The Passover lamb is slain. The suffering servant has endured our affliction. All these shadowy pictures of atonement that were done throughout the history of the Old Testament find their fulfillment. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. And what does he have to say? He said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst? And at first we're like, what? It's actually only one word in Greek. I thirst. But see, it's not as strange as we might initially think. Because I don't know about you, but when you get out there and you labor intensely and all that, what do you do? You get thirsty. He's thirsty. But see, we ought to be reminded here in the wonders of the theology of what's going on. Jesus is not only the Son of God, fully God, He is also fully man so that He can be our substitute. He's fully God so that He can endure the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, but He is fully man so that He can be our substitute. He has lived in perfect righteousness, been tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, and went to the cross in our place. Condemned He stood, and there He is, thirsty. Fulfilling Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. Fulfilling Psalm 69, 21 where it speaks of them giving him sour wine to drink. And it's it's as though right here, with this simple declaration that lingers long across the span of history, it's like he's reminding us, because we need to know, he did it. He fulfilled it. Because so many of us live lives that are haunted by it's never enough. The people that were following the Old Testament pattern of things were were living a life that was full of it's never enough. There's always another sacrifice that's necessary. There's always another thing that has to be done. Because just as soon as you have one sacrifice, you walk out the door and you realize how sinful you are and you just have to turn around and go get back in line and you got to do it all over again. 
And that for anybody here who has tried to build your own righteousness on the basis of your own works, you know even from the start it's not good enough. I've already failed. I can't do this. I can't undo my own sin. I can't reconcile myself to a righteous and a holy God. I can't justify myself. Because when we're honest about our sin and we look at the glory of who He is, we say, there is no justification for what I've done. There is no justification for my unbelief. And the only hope is that someone would stand in my place, in your place, and die and endure the outpouring of the wrath that we deserve, give his life as a ransom for many, that everybody who trusts in him would have forgiveness in life, clothed in his righteousness. We need to know that the work is complete. And that Jesus is on the cross here. As we behold him, Jesus is on the cross, not full of regret, not fretful, confident. The work is completed. He's thirsty, and he has something else he needs to say. So he said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst, and that jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. It's vinegar. It's not the same thing as the wine mixed with myrrh that he turned away in Mark chapter 15. This is different. This was kept at the foot of the cross. The soldiers would drink from it. Anytime one of the victims on the crosses would ask for something, they'd put it up there. So they put it on a hyssop branch. A stalk held it up to his mouth. And you can see the little hints here and the significance and the connections with the Passover. As you think of Exodus 12 and the hyssop branch being used to apply the blood of the lamb. And it's as though even even reading this, it's like the soldiers unknowingly illustrated the identity of our Savior. And that he had fulfilled more than we had ever imagined. And the vinegar, as he takes it in, they held it to his mouth, he takes it in, clears his throat. And he has something to say. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Again, it's only one word in the Greek. It is finished. What is it? Our salvation, our reconciliation, our justification, our sin had, is so awful. It required the death of the Son of God in our place. All of our pride and idolatry and lust and lies. We need He who is fully God and fully man to die in our place to give His life as a ransom for ours. And He's up on the cross. It is finished. You think of the the echo of these words. Echoing out across Jerusalem in the midst of Passover as lambs are being led to the slaughter by the dozens, one after another, after another, after another, all pointing to, all foreshadowing, looking forward to that full and final sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And there He is on the cross. It's finished. It's done. He has done it. He has endured our sin, our hell, and it's like He clears His throat and He says, done. It's a word that's used in commercial transactions, a way of saying payment in full has been made. 
It's like he's looking at us and saying, burn the notes on your sin and death and hell. Enjoy the freedom of forgiveness and enjoy the peace of God. And that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's closed the books on our sin and judgment. He endured all of it. That we may have grace. That he became sin who knew no sin. That we might become his righteousness. And that through faith in Jesus we have peace with God. There he is on a cross. And he did it. Rome couldn't stop him. The Jews couldn't silence him. Our sin couldn't overwhelm him. And death did not defeat him. Behold our Jesus. Mission accomplished. And as we behold him and as we just even closing our minds and just fixing our gaze upon him in faith. It's like all our confidence is in him. We bring nothing to the table. We bring our sin and our baggage and our pride and our, all of it. And we just lay it down before him and say, Lord, save me. You did it. I trust you. He's done everything necessary for your salvation, for forgiveness, for reconciliation. And then it's like we ought to hear the victory cry echoing in our hearts today. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's like he's, he declares this for all of us to hear. And then he turns his attention to the Father. He bows his head. And in this moment, he would say those words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even to the final breath, he's in absolute control demonstrating what he declared in John chapter 10 when he said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Words that would echo as he is buried. Words that would echo as we await that wonderful Easter Sunday. Jesus gave his life. No one took it from him. Mission accomplished. The purpose, the will of the Father done for you. Behold our Jesus who speaks from the cross. He gave his life for us. What's left to do? Well, when somebody finishes a job, what's left to do? You got to trust the one who did the work. When you take your car to the shop and you leave it there and you go to pick it up, and you get back in the car and you go to leave, what are you doing? You're trusting in the one who did the work for you. When you go to the doctor and you have that surgery and you've come out of surgery and you find you're, you're in recovery, what are you doing? Yeah, I got to trust the work that he did. I didn't do it. I didn't accomplish putting all these things back together. Somebody else had to do it for me. What's left for us to do? 
We didn't do it. We couldn't do it. He did. Now is our opportunity to trust Him who did the work. He who came and lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, went to the cross, died there, endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against all who would repent and believe, gave His life, died, was buried, and three days later rose again. He who cares, He who knows your needs, is He who calls you to trust in Him today, to trust in Him for salvation, for forgiveness, for everlasting life. This is our Jesus. Behold Him in the grandeur of who He is. And may your response to Him in this moment be a display that you trust He who did the work. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that in this moment now, stir our hearts. You are absolutely amazing. We rejoice in the depth of your love in sending your own son to die on the cross for our sin and rise from the dead. So, Father, whatever our expressions of worship and adoration and trust in this moment may look like, Father, may they bring you glory and honor. Father, we pray for anyone here who has never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we pray that today would be the day of their salvation where they turn away from their sin and quit trusting in themselves, they can't save themselves, they would look to you who sent your son, who did the work, who gave his life, that they might live and they might have a right relationship with you. Father, in this moment now, stir their hearts to trust in you. Father, for all of us here who are believers, Father, may we never tire of beholding the wonder of Christ crucified. And in this moment now, may our attention stir our affection that we may just enjoy the wonder of knowing Jesus who is unchangingly compassionate and who saves us and who saved us from our sin. May every expression that we give from this moment now be a reflection that we trust in Jesus. We ask all of this in his mighty name and for his glory.